welcome to episode 196 of the Redbox Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I'm your host, Bob Phelan. I'm your co-host, Joel Phelan. And this week we have a very special guest, friend of the show, and noted online film writer at CutPrintFilm.com, Edgar Chaput is back once again. How's it going, Edgar? Very well. I'm absolutely delighted to be back. It's always very, very kind of you guys to invite me. Thank you so much. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, love having you on. Yeah. yeah, we wanted to get you in here to, first of all, just to have you on. It's always fun. But also to recap the fall box office draft. Oh, why not, huh? I think we have a new champion in the house. So tonight is more of a, uh, a serenation, a coronation, <laughs> yes. properly speaking. Yes, Ooh, and uh, <laughs> the winner. I, uh, fair warning, I'm a very poor winner. Oh, I was, <laughs> was going to say the winner is Joel. Oh, yeah. wait, wait, no, 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 no. Actually, the winner is Edgar. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. <laughs> I think uh, I think some uh, some uh, rebels in a galaxy far, far away helped me out a little bit. So I have just to thank a little them. bit, just yeah. a little bit. They tend to come through in the clutch. So They do, don't they? They do. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't even close. We waited till after the Oscars to uh, get the final tally, which actually I forgot to post. I'll have to do that after the podcast. But it was over before the ceremony even started. Joel was like a billion dollars behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Star Wars killed it for you. You had Manchester, which came home with some uh, yeah. some gold. And, Made some uh, money too. Yeah, rival. Yeah, you just you blew us out of the water. Wasn't even close. Well, How does it feel? I think I can. Uh, I think there's only one logical explanation, being uh, from the Great White North. You know, summer box office. You know, it's a little hot. I'm not used to the humidity. I don't really like it. You get me going in the fall. Gets a little bit chilly. I'm more in my element. You know, I know what I'm doing, guys. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, apparently. It, it makes sense. I hate the winter, so yeah, you you really suck this time. <laughs> <laughs> Not like I did that much better, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good time as always, and we'll have to get back at it in the summer. Mm. But also, yeah, we want to talk about the Oscars, which just happened this past week, and uh, one of the craziest, most entertaining Oscar ceremonies of all time, apparently. Uh, did anybody watch it? I didn't watch it live, but I watched a decent amount of clips. Yeah, uh, I basically watched the clip that counted. <laughs> if, we yeah, know, if I know, right. if, we, if we know what we're talking about. Yeah, I actually have a, I have a bone to pick with ABC, and I have a bone to pick with myself at the end of the day. Um, I cut the cord very famously. All three people that listen to the show know that. I cut the cord uh, earlier last year, and so, like, with the Super Bowl, Fox had the app, and you could stream it live and free, right from whatever device you have, and I thought maybe ABC would have something similar. I read online that they will stream it through their app if you have a subscription to a cable package, which, luckily, I have Verizon Internet, and they gave me, like, the basic channels for free, so that counts. Except when I tried to pull it up, only select cities it worked for. Mm. Like six cities serious? in the whole entire United States, yeah. <laughs> that so, doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> I know. It makes zero sense. You'd think you'd want as many people as possible to watch the show, but I tried to find other means of watching it, and I did for like an hour. I saw like the first hour, and then uh, lost connection there. And then I just followed along on Twitter the rest of the time. And it wasn't until the next day that I realized, why didn't I just turn on uh, my uh, regular channel that I have access to? Uh, <laughs> just I never turned it on, so it didn't even cross my mind. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but yeah, I'd be kicking myself on that too. Yeah, but I mean, I got the most of it, most of the big gist of it from Twitter and then clips like you guys said. So... Yeah, I'm yeah. Just a weird, uh, it's a weird... I remember stream. I was following it like, uh, you know, people like update it, like how they do sports and stuff sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I saw a La La Land one, and I was kind of like, that's kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really that invested in it, but I remember offhandedly thinking that. And then a couple minutes later, I saw this clip that said the moment they basically it was the moment, like, on live broadcast that they realized they m- messed up. Or at least it wasn't like the clip that everyone sees. It's before it was like that, yeah. a side interview people, and they're like, "Wait a second, what?" <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you can see people with headsets running on stage, and yeah, it was like a slow wave coming across everybody. But yeah, I mean, unprecedented. I don't know. Have they ever just even read the name wrong for any award, let alone the very last big best picture at the very end of the show? Pretty crazy. I'm sure there's been some mess ups, but something has finally displaced uh, John Travolta messing uh, the <laughs> singer's name from uh, Frozen. <laughs> yeah, Adele Dazim. <laughs> I can't even remember her real name anymore. Adele, Adele Disease or whatever it is he said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And uh, Steve Harvey's pretty happy tonight, too, or that night. <laughs> yeah. Still a great night. Still a great night. <laughs> But yeah, um, Moonlight comes away with the big prize in the end. I was happy to see that. We'll be reviewing that in an upcoming episode, but I really enjoyed that movie. I liked La La Land as well, but I thought Moonlight was the better of the two. Did anybody draft that? I didn't. No, I, I didn't either. Uh, yeah, I don't think I really knew anything about it at the time. So. Yeah, it kind of came along at the no, maybe not. film festival circuit. I almost drafted mm. La La Land. That would have been a better pick. And probably anything I picked up, but all right. I guess uh, before we get into Manchester by the Sea and our top five saddest movies of all time, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Edgar, who's on the Returning Sorted Cinema podcast, reviewed A Cure mm. for Wellness a mm. week or two oh, ago. Great, great movie. Just a great. Movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but it sounds pretty uh, weird. Sounds bizarre, but I enjoyed the podcast that you guys did. Thank you. There. Thank you. Well, I, 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 nothing changed from back in the day. I show up, I log on, uh, and I talk. It's 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 Simon who hosts. It's Ricky that edits. It's it's uh, the plaudits should go to them more than to me. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, anyone that edits, I mean, they get they get props from me because don't do much of that over here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess also the last couple podcasts we've done on here. Uh, I thought were pretty fun, so if you haven't listened to them yet, check them out. Our Arrival, we reviewed with Rob's sister Nino, and we just did a our first ever video game-centric podcast, which we're going to start to do once a month. thought that turned out pretty good as well, so check them out. 
But let's get into Manchester by the Sea, which the plot synopsis is an uncle is asked to take care of his teenage nephew after the boy's father dies. This movie is directed by Kenneth Lonergan, written by Kenneth Lonergan, stars Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams, Kyle Chandler, and Lucas Hedges as the boy. And uh, I think it had like a 96 or 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. A uh, lot of great buzz coming out of actually Sundance, I think it premiered at in January. And it, yeah, it kept its buzz all the way to the end, was nominated for Best Picture, uh, one for Best Actor, Casey Affleck, Best Original Screenplay. So I think we all came in with pretty high expectations. But uh, Edgar, what did you think of Manchester by the Sea? Well, uh, let's let's have a fun time talking about Manchester by the Sea. Uh, it's you, how what did this get on Rotten Tomatoes? Ninety six, ninety five. Yeah, right around there. I forgot to write the exact number, but I know it was very okay. high. Well, it's all right. It's all right. I don't know. It's it's fine. I just need to find out who the four percent is to write them hate mail. <laughs> um, no, seriously, I I, I was um, very anxious to see this movie. I was a little bit slow uh, to see it. I, I did not see it like immediately when it came out. It took me about a month or so. Um, but when I finally did, I was I was extremely impressed with this movie it's one of those films that its objectives are maybe not uh jaw-dropping you know it's it's not a story like say moonlight tells or arrival or maybe la la land you know it's you just read out the synopsis bob it's nothing special but it does this story so exceptionally well and I think the irony of our of our upcoming top five is that the film's surprisingly funny um, for such a bitter, uh, heartbreaking subject matter. I, I chuckled quite a bit <laughs> watching this yeah, film. They all um, are always uh, bickering. In yeah, it's a very sorry. It's it, it's a movie that I think the term you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the term is like sar. They call it sardonic yeah, humor, yeah. which is a, you you will tell a joke uh, almost to shield yourself from something that's unpleasant. And I, there's a lot of this sardonic humor, very dry humor in this film. Uh, so I was incredibly impressed. I was I was uh, very happy with this movie uh, because it's always a little intimidating when you walk into a movie that has 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's nominated for this. It's nominated for that. Like, well, okay, let's, let's see uh, what's the, what this is about. But this is one of those times where, Hey man, expectations fully met. And then some. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're doing our top five saddest movies for a reason. And yeah, it's very funny as well. Surprisingly. So what did you think, Joe? Yeah, I I basically totally agree with you guys. Um, (laughs) I, I guess I technically finished it this morning, but I was falling asleep last night towards the end, and because of how the story is, I wasn't sure if I really maybe saw everything, but it turns out I did, so it was just kind of a little recap. Yeah, I mean... But amazing. Yeah, great, great movie. Um, I don't want to get into hyperbole, but I'm about to. Um, easily my favorite movie of the year, maybe mm-hmm. my favorite movie of the decade. I don't know. I, I absolutely loved it. It stuck with me for like 
days and days after I watched it. Just got better in my estimation. Really connected with this world that Kenneth Lonergan built and these characters almost immediately. And yeah, I just absolutely loved it 100%. Um, I would like to say we'll probably just have to give a spoiler warning. I don't think it's going to be possible to really dive too deep into the movie without Mm. spoiling it. So if you haven't seen it, maybe pause, watch it, and come back. But yeah, um, like you said, Edgar, just surprisingly funny, in between devastatingly sad moments. Uh, I don't know if I've ever actually had tears come out of my eyes like watching a movie quite like I did watching this. I watched it with my wife and uh, having two kids, it was like, yeah, mm. really mm. struck a chord. But then you're laughing in between those kind of scenes. So, yeah, it's just incredible movie. What did... There's something very, uh, there's something very fascinating about the Casey Affleck character. He's so, um, the structure of the film also says a lot about his character. We don't, um, well, we're in both reviews and spoiler territory, but at this, at the start of the movie, we, we don't really know why he's so uh, closed in on himself mm-hmm. and, and, and occasionally very violent, uh, if he's had a couple of glasses in him, um, but we're not sure why we think, well, maybe he's just an a-hole, you know, maybe we're, we're not supposed to like this guy. But when we do find out what happened, uh, it says so much about this character. And it's so it is so sad because he has chosen to continue living as as a shadow of, of, of his former self, a shell of a human being. Yeah. This is a deliberate choice that he has made. He, no matter whom he's hanging out with, whether it's his um, nephew or or his um, who's the who's the character that the bearded fellow that shows up every once in a while is that his brother's friend? Yeah, is that a family member. I believe so. Yeah, he's a family friend. I think. Yeah, family friend. That guy, or even the 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 extraordinary scene with Michelle Williams later oh on. Oh my god. Every single time, it doesn't matter. He has chosen to no longer give it into emotions. And you sort of want him to show something, but he's chosen not to. It's a great performance. Uh, I know, you know, I don't know if we want to get into, you know, Casey Affleck, the the, the person and and the stories Mm -hmm, that have come out. mm But he's giving a... I don't, I don't. I don't even know what word to use to, to to describe his performance. I mean, excellent is the obvious one, but it's very specially nuanced. I find it's yeah. very deliberate, very calculated, very. You want to, like show something, say something, be something else, but no, he can't because of what happened. It's 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 fascinating. It's yeah, fascinating. it feels very lived in that performance. Like, yeah. very naturalistic. Uh, yeah, I I know the controversy behind him and and all the stuff that apparently he did and that sucks you know but from looking at the performance alone i was happy that he won the award if you're just looking mm-hmm. on merits but i i understand people were rooting against him and and that's fine because who really what are the oscars you know it's not always about merit anyway but yeah i thought he probably had the best performance of the year for me as well um love the way the movie opens where it's just like him following him as a handyman just going about his business and 
I don't know. I, I liked I would have liked to actually seen more of those characters that he was dealing with there. But mm, uh, they're fun, aren't they? The, the, the <laughs> yeah. lady. He isn't he, he he's unplugging like the shit in someone's toilet and he can overhear her saying, I think this guy's really hot, but he's unplugging my toilet or something like that. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. great little scene. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's like a little uh sitcom. But yeah, it was great. Um and yeah, you like you said he's you can see like glimmer, little glimmers of personality here and there and especially in the flashbacks where he seemed like a really likable fun-loving guy and obviously when the crazy shit goes down it kind of just saps his energy his soul ahead of him and he's a shell of a man but what did you think of uh casey affleck joel his performance i i just gotta say like just as an actor i vaguely know of the stories that have come out about him but just as an actor i'm a fan uh one of the i can't think of a better performance by an actor recently yeah than what he put out i'm sure there have been whatever equal but i don't know it's just to me the saddest thing about the movie is that there's this buildup of emotion and you're getting more information and you're starting to understand how he feels more. And you almost think because he's taking so much charge and all this stuff happening and taking care of his nephew, you almost think he's going to like, kind of like snap out of it right? or like happily ever after. And it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. It just accepts it. It's not how it but works. The movie, the movie does tease us, doesn't it? In the final twenty minutes, where they, uh, they, he, he turns on the light. They're looking at their, their, their gun, the rifle collection, and he brings down his nephew, who's a great, great character and a great performance. Him too, and uh, they say, you know what? So you want the boat so badly? Or I think he has to buy a new motor for the boat. The nephew wants to, 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 doesn't want to go to college. He wants to work on, on the water and this and that. Right, right. So you want to buy a motor? But let's sell off our rifles. And then there's a little montage with like a sweet little song for about two or three minutes and you almost get that sense ah okay so this is going to be the happy ending and then sort of the the rug isn't abruptly pulled from under our feet it, it, but it, it <laughs> it's like it's very slowly oh you think it's going to be happy ending well here's just a few slow paced scenes where Things are a little better, but they're far. They're still far from great. Yeah, that's that's very astute uh, point you just made there, Joe. And I think the movie's all the better for it. It doesn't give in to what uh, maybe a lot of other movies would. It doesn't give in to the expectations. Right. Yeah, it's truly about like life really isn't fair. Yeah. You know, and depression like, is just some people crazy. can have perfect life and. Some people wouldn't have a life like his. Yeah, just uh, luck of the draw, and yeah, it's terrible. I do like at the end though. He, what he find, he like buys a different apartment that has an extra room, or he sets up a bed for his nephew in case he ever wants to come stay, which was a big change for him because, you know, he uh, set it up so that no one would ever come in and it, wherever he lives, and he would all turn down women even if they were hitting on him clear as day. So yeah, there's yeah. might have been subtle movements towards potential uh, healing a little bit at the end. Mm. Rooting for yeah, him. I guess he just accepted really that he wouldn't be whole again. 
No, oh, yeah, yeah. He could work on things, but he would never be what he was. For sure. He already turned that corner. But I think it's official that Casey is the better Affleck, as far as acting goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess so. He certainly... I, I, I've probably seen more Ben Affleck films than Casey, I, I, Casey Affleck films, but I think maybe Casey Affleck... Uh, strives for different material, maybe slightly more challenging material. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it certainly gives the impression that he's the better actor, definitely. I mean, Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford I loved, and uh, Gone, Baby Gone. Gone, Gone Baby yeah, Gone, yeah, yep. that's a good one. Which his brother directed. And my wife even said that uh, Casey's the better-looking Affleck, which I don't know if I can agree with her there. but Controversial. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think she's seen him with that beard he was sporting at the Oscars. So. Mm. <laughs> But you had mentioned uh, Lucas Hedges, who plays his nephew. Uh, he did a great yes. job as well. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. and I mean, for a young kid, I don't think I had seen him in anything else besides this, unless you know I just didn't recognize him. But he did a great job at, in a very tough role. I mean, this, guy, this kid loses his father, um, has to deal with a lot of shit. His mother's crazy. Um, what did you guys think of, of his performance? I thought he was really good. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to really compare his performance to Casey Affleck's, but oh yeah, uh, he did a good job. And actually, if you really think about it, he's sort of similar to him in a way because he sort of does the same thing when his dad dies, where he he kind of bottles it up. Yeah, he doesn't really and he's react. Smart ass, and you do see one moment in the movie where he just cracks. Yeah, he has a little panic attack with the frozen chicken. Yeah, which I actually I thought was really clever. Like I kind of didn't see what he was going to say about. Like I didn't understand why he was crying. Yeah, it took a second. Chicken. But yeah, I started laughing because I was like, "What's going on?" But then, like, oh shit, yeah, that's scary. yeah. Oh, he's he is uh, Lucas Hedges is is fantastic in the film and and uh, further to to your point, Joel, you can tell that there he and his uncle are cut from the same cloth they don't they don't quite react to the situation in exactly the same way but they're sort of they are i think you said bottling it up and, and he does do that i guess what the nephew does is he keeps himself extremely occupied he's he plays hockey he's in a band he, he's trying to make out with uh, make do with with two uh, high school sweethearts, no less. So, whereas you know, Case Affleck seems a little bit more—not uh, well, a little bit more, but a lot more um, solemn and uh, continuously yeah. depressed. He's uh, pretty much the exact opposite in a way, but mm. but the objective is the same. Similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's on the hockey team. That was a pretty uh, pretty good team. I like the guy that played his hockey coach, and uh, I guess he was a gym teacher as well. Uh, I forget that actor's name, but he was in Friends as a side character. Um, yeah, and the, and the girlfriends, they did a fairly decent job with what they were given. I thought all the acting in this movie was pretty top-notch. Yeah, no, the the his uh, the uh, the one that we see a little bit more, the blonde, she, very funny, very, very charming actress. Yeah, for sure. But uh, let's see, I guess Kyle Chandler plays the brother that dies, and you see him in flashbacks, and I, I always love Kyle Chandler. He's great in everything. Even in his small time here, I felt like he made an impact 
you really got to know like how he was as a person felt like he could be a brother to Casey Affleck's character. Yeah. I thought that was actually a perfect choice. Uh, yeah. Cause I feel the same way. I'm a fan of him and his personality just seems to fit that role really well. Yeah. He was almost like the anti, you could tell he's the older brother cause he's dealing with everything like a little more smoothly, even though he has this condition where he knows something could go wrong at any time. He, He's making jokes with the the uh, nurse and just really seemed to keep a pretty solid head on his shoulders for everything he was dealing with, like his wife who had her own issues. And He's good at playing like The Rock. Yeah. The oh, yeah. Friday Night Lights. Even Wolf of yeah. Wall Street as the cop hunting down Jordan Belfort. He's Yeah, he is a rock. That's a, that's a great scene in the hospital where they're talking to uh... – the irony is they're talking to the doctor and no one can get the name right. And I can't remember the doctor's name. Um, but there again, uh, Couch Chandler's character is using humor to defl- to an extent. He, he does yeah. get a little bit serious after a while, but he's using a bit of humor to deflect the seriousness of the situation. Again, you can those strands are there, mm-hmm. those connective tissues of, of all these family members. Are that, well, except maybe for the for the mother who's who's really losing it and, and you know bless her soul but um, yeah no that's that that is a it's a very early scene I think it's barely fifteen or twenty minutes into mm-hmm, the film mm-hmm. uh, but it might be one of my favorite because it is I, I, you know a small confession uh, I think I saw a just a wee bit of myself in that family because I do I'm not the most emotional type of person and on the rare occasions in my life where I've had to deal with reasonably serious things um yeah I sort of I don't just ball I I kind of sort of do what Kyle Chandler does so I guess I saw a bit of myself in the family as well maybe that's why I related so much yeah 100 percent I definitely use uh humor as a coping mechanism myself so yeah definitely I mean (laughs) Whenever I get bad news or anything, like people almost get upset with me because I, I almost don't react. Actually, I, I think I relate mostly to Casey Affleck's character, not by any means to his level, but I sort of do the same thing where I just sort of bottle it up and save it for later almost. Yeah, I. if we're going down this hole, like there's been times when I have to tell someone, like my wife, bad news, and I like... I don't know why, but I like a small smile creeps across my face. It's like I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. I like smile or something when I get uncomfortable a lot. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't translate well. It doesn't translate is, well is it, at all. Is, it, is this like a dude thing? Do you guys think? Maybe. Like if we're gonna get serious about it, is yeah. this a dude thing? It's possible. Yeah, probably. Or just like uh, someone who's not. Uh, I don't know. Super into their emotions or connected. I don't know. I mean, I guess the stereotype in all like shows and movies is the girl is saying like, you never open up and show emotions. And so maybe it is. Yeah. I actually find that I kind of get more uh, emotional just from watching TV and movies in in real life, which is kind of weird too. Yeah. Well, it's because I think it's because uh, you live vicariously. You're you're experience it 
I can't talk tonight. You are you are experiencing it, but you're still not truly yeah. living it. So maybe yeah. that 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 buffer allows us to because I'm a, a little bit like that as well. That buffer allows us to give in a little bit more to our emotions because once the movie's off, you know, we'll think about it for a little while, maybe a few days, but it's still not our lives. Whereas, well, real life, that's more serious. And suddenly we decide to use sardonic humor or maybe not be very emotive. Um, again, it's the reality of the situation that seems to affect us much more than, than, than um, I guess, I was about to say something, but it would have made a whole lot of sense. The rea- <laughs> real, real life almost affects us or should affect us so much, therefore we choose to try to not be so affected or use our own mm-hmm, mm-hmm. personal coping mechanisms. Whereas if we're watching a film like Manchester by the Sea, it's extremely affecting, but it's still not my life. Therefore, I will allow myself to feel sad about this. Yeah. It's, we're, we're very weird creatures. That makes yeah, sense. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a weird analogy to like, like some of the best sports are like, batting coaches like hitting coaches in baseball weren't very great at hitting themselves it's like teaching and doing are different things and i guess that can kind of relate to this uh at least in my head it did before i said it out loud i mean i kind of get the gist of what you were what you mean (laughs) well i guess we we never actually said what the big twist is and i thought it was a great scene how they reveal it where what he's at it's like a flashback. It's like flashing back and flashing forward intermittently with the score queued up where, what is it? The, uh, the attorney is telling him like what his brother left him with the responsibilities he left him with. And it, you can like, he's got his hand in his, his head in his hands and he's thinking back to the, that fateful night. And yeah, I guess he got drunk with his friends late at night. Um, puts a fire on and goes to walk to the store. Actually, he's being responsible by not driving. He walks to the store. Yeah. And uh, yeah. when he's walking back, the house is aflame. And unfortunately, the only person – he has three three kids, right, three daughters. And uh, the only person that was able to get out of the house alive was his wife at the time, Michelle Williams. And wow, I mean, pretty devastating, especially when they're picking up the body bags and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, tough, tough to watch for sure. But still, I thought expertly done from like a filmmaking standpoint. What did you guys think of that moment? Uh, kind of jaw dropping. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a hard time putting that one in the words, but it's just absolute worst case scenario. And it's one of those things that's so sudden. It's like you have your normal life, and then five minutes later, it's all gone. Yeah. Or not five minutes. What does he say? It's about 40 minutes, 20 minutes yeah. both ways. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just uh, like just like oh, when – Sorry. Yeah, just like when he's at the police station afterwards, and they don't arrest him because it was clearly an accident. And they said, you know – it's just a freak accident, but just insane yeah. insanity. It is insanity. It is insanity because that that's such a big moment in the movie, not because the house is aflame and the kids have died, although, yes, that obviously plays a humongous role in it being big, but 
we now fully comprehend why he's a show of himself. He didn't just, A, he lost most of the people in his family, except his wife. Except he kind of did lose her too a bit. He kind of, and yeah, that's a, that's a good point. He does lose her too. Uh, so he lost, he loses his kids. Literally, he loses his wife figuratively. He lost them by his own devices, his own uh, sort of his own poor decision making as he was drunk, no less. Yeah. But because after full and, and careful and studious evaluation by the authorities, it's just a freak accident, buddy. So he's lost everybody. He was drunk. It probably wasn't the smartest decision, but officially by the law, it's not his fault. So you get to go away scot-free. It's yeah. such a perverted twist. It's terrible. It's awful. And Casey Affleck's face, when they get done saying that to him, like he has that realization that he has to... Right. Like, it's almost like he wanted to be punished. For yeah, it. it's, it's worse. It's worse that he got he's away. He's got to carry that for the rest of his life. The guilt. I mean, level. I guess he did either way, but yeah, the guilt that he, he was feeling. He would have preferred being locked up in a cell yeah. or whatever. I don't know what you would do with someone like that, but he would prefer to be uh, sheltered away, locked up, throw away the key. Now he actually has to. He's forced to go back into society. He does his best to not interact with society. But he is thrown back to uh, into the real world. Yeah. yeah, and if you think about it, even though he is in society, he sort of locks himself in his own prison where he doesn't yep. communicate or go out. Or I'm sure that's what it feels like to him, at least. Yeah, he has to live with this skill and face it like right front and center and stare it in the face. And that's probably way harder than, you know, going to jail or or whatever he expected to happen and what an intense scene as well when he just grabs the cop's gun, puts it up to his head, pulls the trigger, but the safety oh, was on. Man. Like, man, that oh. was a – like that whole sequence, I, I just had my – was like I was holding my breath, you know, and not even realizing yeah. it. It was so, so intense. Yeah, when that scene happened, I actually like thought in my head, like, I hope he didn't do that. Like, I hope that was like a bad dream, but that's not really this movie's style. Yeah, yeah. And then the next scene, they make you laugh. So that's that's how good this movie is. It's like a, they you need that that laughter to break the tension, you know. Although you know, it, but that's I think that's what makes this movie all the more special because not every movie is going to do that. Uh, a lot of movies will, and you know, justifiably so. I'm, I'm not saying they're bad movies because of it, but a lot of movies will maybe emphasize uh, the solemnness. Of, of of the affair whereas this one you know another, another scene that sort of makes me think of that is is the um uh, the, the 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 these what do you call that when you go to church to celebrate to, to, to highlight someone's passing uh, um not a week the thing that happens before a week um yeah I'm anyways just, yeah i know what you mean <clears throat> where michelle williams he's he they've spoken on the phone uh, earlier, but now he's he's actually seen her right, for the right. first time in a long time, and and and, she, and his his her her new husband is there, and she's in tears. She hugs him. And it's all slow motion with this beautiful choral moving uh, music, excuse me, playing. And then it cuts to everybody sitting down. There's obviously maybe a speech going on. 
and like the nephew's cell phone buzzes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right, right, right. What is this? <laughs> they do yeah. that a lot throughout the movie where they show these like real serious things happen. And like there's one scene where they're signing the papers, I guess, for um, the family friend to adopt the kid or transfer the funds or the trust to him. Mm-hmm. And the uh, lawyer's just fiddling on his phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or how about when uh, early on when Lucas Hedges is going to see his father's dead body, they walk in and he just like immediately turns around and says, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And to make matters worse, Michelle Williams' character is pregnant with uh, her own new baby, which is just like another layer on top of the punishment for him. And speaking of Michelle Williams, I mean, she's only in like three scenes in the whole movie and she made her presence known incredibly. I would not have been upset if she won Best Supporting Actress for this because especially that scene towards the end with him, like that's, that's got to be one of my, or one of the best scenes of all time. Maybe not that, but one, definitely one of the best scenes I've seen in a long time. That was very powerful. Yeah, I think that'll be the scene that's kind of remembered as the famous scene in the movie, for the most part, besides the, the little twist. But Yeah, it just feels so real. Like, you know, she apologizes for all the things she said to him, which you can, I'm glad they didn't show it, because you can just imagine, like, and, uh, yeah, it's insane how, I mean, she can move on with her life, and he can't. It's just, just how different people's... Uh, yeah. Minds work, I guess. Yeah, it, it really, if you think about it, the whole movie is a build-up to that. Yeah. Outpouring of emotion. Yeah, and that was the part that really hit me the hardest. Not actually oh, hardest, sad. harder than the, the scene when they actually show the dead bodies and all that. I think it's, it's, a, it's a big scene because of that. Um, the recognition in, in Michelle Williams... I can't remember her character's name, but in Michelle, in that character's, how how she's understanding at long last, and she's probably understood it for for a while already, but now she's she gets to say it mm-hmm. to him. Her recognition of the situation. I said really bad things. My heart was broken. It's still broken. It's always going to be broken. But I now know that your heart is broken too, and you have to try to live. Uh, again, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, moment. it's, 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 it's a heartbreaking moment, but it's beautiful. I, I love the fact that she understands their lives are their, their lives together. It's screw, forget it. I, this yeah. is the absolute worst. This, the, there's no coming back from this, but there's still that little bit of, recognition it's important it means a lot to her and it would mean so much more for her if 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 he could open up a little bit and he just says you know what you know he says it politely but he just walks away yeah he's still not gonna give in he's still not gonna give in damn yep. you damn you case Affleck. yeah and if it wasn't gonna happen then you know probably never gonna happen and I the fact that they just coincidentally bumped into each other this wasn't like a planned sit down talk you know that was that was another part that made it so good yeah, and uh, I guess um, I did want to take note of the score. I thought the score was not what I was expecting. It was like uh, more loud and in your face, but somehow worked at the same time. It wasn't like a, a sappy score. It was more 
I don't know how to explain it, but I don't. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Did you guys feel similarly? Similarly, I I did note that it was kind of it was odd how well it worked and yeah. how much it was in the background, even it though it was in the forefront at the kind same of, time. Kind of bombastic, in a way. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. A classy. I thought it was yeah. a, a classy score that. Uh, I, I guess bombast is a word that can be used, or unsubtle is maybe the one I would yeah. use, but um, it, it still works rather well. I'm looking, I'm on the Wikipedia page, the, uh, it's uh, Leslie Barber is the fellow that uh, that, that wrote uh, the music, and I liked it, I liked it. I, I don't know if it's my one of my favorite scores of the year, but certainly it, it worked in the context of this movie. I thought it, it was effective. Yeah, I completely agree. I probably would put it Behind Moonlight score, I thought Moonlight had an incredible score, but mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah it was it was one. good. It was good for the movie, and I thought the movie was incredibly well paced. Um, it's over two hours long; didn't feel that long, and I almost didn't want it to end. I, you know, that, I feel like that's a pretty good testament to a movie when I wanted to continue with these character stories. I just uh, got so invested so fast in in their arcs. It's it's nothing more than a chapter in their right. lives, really. The last scene is them; they're fishing. I think they they finally they they got the motor for the boat, and now, and it's not even from the front; it's from the we see them from their backs. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. they're fishing on the boat, and it just fades to black. So it's sort of what happens next. Well, you 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 make something up in your own mind. You know, it's very very uh, uh, open ended. Uh, why open-ended ending it's not really a conclusion is it but i I liked it i think the movie works you don't need a conclusion we're just going to have a little glimpse into this extraordinarily trying chapter in the lives of of, of two people that have a very (laughs) a very particular way of dealing with with this tragedy Mm -hmm. hey joel real quick uh did you get any sense of shameless from this the show? No, not really. No, I just felt like the kid, Lucas Hedges' character, would have fit in on that show. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, kind of if it was like Boston version or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that. but And I guess really the movie is another statement of saying like everybody's got shit going on under the surface. Even if like if you saw Michelle Williams' character – with pushing a, a newborn baby, smiling, talking to her friend, you wouldn't think of the tragedy she's gone through. So, and it seems like everybody in the movie, every character in the movie, had been through something, you know, something yeah. real. Uh, and uh, one last thing: how about the dinner with his mom and her new husband, uh, Matthew Broderick? Her, oh, yeah. her mom found. Oh, yeah, I was surprised to see him. <laughs> her mom, fa- his mom, found religion and it became a little cuckoo. Um, that was a pretty funny scene when he he ate dinner at their house, I thought. It, and you saying that makes me think of one of the last scenes in Casey Affleck's fixing that guy's furnace and he's talking about how his father just went out to sea and never came back. Yeah, yeah. I think that really hits him. That everyone yeah, that was, a, that was a weird little scene. Huh? They just it got was. the boat fixed up and it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, my dad got presumably died i'd see yeah that was an interesting choice i'm not sure what the movie would... i i don't dislike the scene i i like it because it's so quirky and and ironic i like that yeah. and it it almost made me feel like there was another knife twist coming right, like right. something else hey, was gonna happen hey man, the, the movie the movie just fades to black we don't know what happens yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, we won't know till Manchester by the Sea, Chapter 2. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you guys got anything else? I think I'm good. I mean, I could talk about this movie for days, I feel like. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> no, I, I think we've... Uh... I think we've we've pretty much said almost everything there is <laughs> yeah. to say. I would say I, I would say the structure. I, I like the way the film is structured. Uh, I think it's sometimes easy to complain about movies that are, don't tell their story chronologically. You know, it's too artificial. It's too fake. But damn it, when it when it does it well, like Manchester C does it, you you can't imagine the movie in any other way. I'm not saying it would not have been as powerful had everything been told in chronological order, but those gut punches you get because of how the chronology is structured, the editing, uh, how they worked in the editing bay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I applaud the director and his editor, uh, Jennifer Lame. She's not lame. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, no, very excellent. Excellent. I, yeah, I love th it. that's a great point. And I, I would agree 100%. I thought it was structured incredibly well. And I think the most interesting part about the structure is that I feel like the second watch through, it's not going to ruin it. How some of these movies can not be ruined, but yeah, yeah. a lot of times, you know, the, the held information is quite important to mm. the delivery. No, yeah. I, I, I did rewatch it. I actually bought the, the iTunes version and uh, confirmed Joel uh, rewatch. Uh, does nothing is harmed. And it's like yes. a, for a movie as sad as it is, as heavy as it is at times, like it's a movie I would rewatch for sure, just to revisit this these characters and it's you know some some movies you're, are one and done and you you love them but you got their fill you know because they're so tough to watch. But this movie I would definitely watch again. I agree. Oh, I will definitely be watching this movie again. Nice. Well, I'll give it a ten out of ten. Might be the first one I've ever given out on the wow. show, other other than the Godfather Part One. Wish Edgar was here for so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what would you guys give it? Um, I'll give it a nine. Very strong. Very strong. Very strong nine. <clears throat> uh jeez. <laughs> one of them gives a nine. The other one a ten. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll split the different only because I think ultimately there were. A couple of movies i saw recently that you know might have been tussling for some oscar glory a couple of days ago that i would give the edge to i'm going to give this uh, i'll be conservative and give it a nine i'm gonna i'm gonna lowball it and give it a nine still a very good score yeah yeah excellent <laughs> but yeah i was gonna say it's i don't think it's my favorite movie of the year but it's at the same time it's pretty up there one of my favorite movies yeah, and I feel. Well, like, I mean, time will tell where it lands. Yeah, where yeah, it's, yeah. But. You need some distance to really get a true sense of where it stands. But I mean, that just says more about the movies that you liked more to it to me. So more than it to me. So yeah, yeah, interesting. I'm very interested to see what beat it. Well, let's get to our top five. Um, top five saddest movies. This was. I had a few ideas for this episode for a top five, and this was one of them. And, this was different. This is interesting. It's not really like going by best movies in a certain thing. I actually went by which one affected me the most and just something yeah. I hadn't really thought about too much. Uh, <laughs> did you guys have a hard time coming up with this? Uh, a, a little bit because what's my definition of 
sad, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I started thinking about. Right. That's a good question. What is your definition of sad? That is a very good question. Because <laughs> <laughs> there, there are movies that are, I guess, like sad stories that don't make me sad to watch. Right, right, right. But And then there are other movies that really tug on your heartstrings. And I guess it's what you can relate to. I completely agree. I completely. I'm actually extremely curious to know to know your list because this 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 is a list that you know it's not. I think the last time I was on here, we did like best action sequences and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this is the kind of list that's going to reveal what kind of affects us. I, I think you you put it extremely well, Joel. It's it's these movies. Uh, I didn't cry at all of them, but there were certain scenes. Uh, actually, there are a couple of movies on this list where I don't find the movie's not sad from start to finish, but there are a couple of moments that really high. The, the, the undertone of the story is this sadness, despite, you know, actually in one case, it's, it's anyways, whatever. We'll get to our top five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, uh, <clears throat> I agree with what all you guys said, but I would say the cliche is true. Once you have kids, you do become a little bit more of a softy. And I think at least the top two, top two on my list are from after I had kids. So, all right, yeah, I'm very curious to see what everyone's top fives here are. Let's go with our guest first. Edgar, what's your number five? Uh, my number five. Well, it, my number five on the list is the movie I was I was teasing. Where there are a couple of ones that are so sad, even though you don't really think of it as a fat sad film. My number five is is a Disney animated film. It's Dumbo from way back in the day. Mm. Um, very colorful film. Uh, very you know happy go lucky. But the the fact of the matter is we see Dumbo removed from his, his mother and then he gets to see his mother uh, in, 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 a, in a really heartbreaking scene. She's uh, like shacked up in some sort of a tiny little uh, almost like a box with a tiny little window that's barred. And and, you know, he goes there. He goes to see her at night for a little bit of comfort. Uh, and this is after we've already seen him, you know, uh, taken away from his mother. So. It's a funny movie. I love Dumbo, but sort of it's almost the whole story. Because the reason why this story is happening is because of of something that's really sad. And I think those it's they're two very very brave and and bold films uh, from that from that from that studio. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a of an outlier maybe, but Dumbo is my number five. Nice. Yeah, I could see that. I could. Yeah, Disney has a penchant for some pretty sad stuff, like Bambi. Mom bites it pretty early on. Yeah, uh, I, I even seen uh, the Lion King listed. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Mufasa, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's pretty tough. What's your number five, Joel? My number five is a little bit corny, but it's because of kind of a true story where <laughs> when this movie came out. I think it was in high school or something. I think I had a girlfriend and they all said like it was real sad and you would cry and I was like, There's no way. And basically I did. <laughs> it was Marley and me. Oh, interesting. Oh, Marley boy. and me. I did see that. And uh yeah, it it's very 
<laughs> scripted that way. But yeah, I mean, it kind of it's contrived, but it does get the job done. Oh yeah, I was going to say this is definitely the worst movie on my list, but um, but that happened, so I can't kind of take that away. From <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny that your number five is Marley and Me because I was going to bring up Marley and Me with for my number five, which I was going to say Marley and Me has nothing on the original <laughs> Dead Dog Tale, Old Yeller, which oh I, uh, I think I, I watched it when I was like a young kid. I want to say like 10 or 11. Uh, for whatever reason, my mom had it on VHS or something. And I watched it and I just remember it's probably the first movie that made me upset like physically upset um you know when you're a kid especially you can kind of cling on to animals and dogs and so yeah yeah, all five of us have an animal related (laughs) 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 but yeah old yeller i haven't watched it in a while but i remember i don't think i've ever i mean i know the gist of it but i've never actually seen it yeah yeah i think um, neither have i Spoiler alert, the uh, father <laughs> takes the dog and ba- out back to the shed with a shotgun in the end. That's how it ends? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number four, Edgar, on that note? Um, my number four, well, now we're, we're definitely going into different territory, although we're still in animation. Uh, my number four is a film called Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, it's from 88. It's a Japanese anime. Uh, this uh, director called, I'm going to butcher this, Isao Takahata. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially the story of two little girls, their sisters. One is a few years older, maybe almost in her teens. The other one is, I think, five or six years old, something like that. <laughs> Excuse me. So it's World War II. It's it's Japan. And and uh, it's basically they lose their family. Uh, their, their, their village is destroyed. And it's basically an hour and a half of them surviving on their own. And things get uh, really intense. Uh, We're talking famine. We're talking uh, incurable diseases. Uh, All this in the wake of uh, everyone they've known and loved is now six feet under or blown to bits. Um, It's it's uh, it's a tough watch. This this is not a Disney movie. but uh, I saw it. I saw it a, a little while ago. But there's still scenes to this day that have stayed with me. Uh, it, it's a shocking film. Uh, I, I think. I think if maybe you're a little bit more accustomed to maybe what we do over here in North America with our animated fare, uh, buckle your seatbelts if you want to watch this. Um, but it's it's powerful. It's extremely well made, and and I think to this day it's still very highly regarded, uh, at least with respect to Japanese anime or manga or whatever the hell it is it is it's supposed to be called it's it's still very very highly regarded and, and celebrated to this day so grave of the fireflies yeah um uh, i have this on my list as well and hey, yeah. it is yeah heartbreaking intense film it's a studio ghibli film as well oh it's ghibli oh, yeah, yeah yeah but one of the rare ones that uh miyazaki didn't direct right yeah mm. Um, yeah, and there's an honorable mention for me. Me and Casey reviewed it, I think, in the first year or two of the podcast on the film club segment. And yeah, very, very good movie. Very, very sad movie. Absolutely. Great pick. Joel? All right. 
my number four is a movie I had always heard was sad, and I just, I don't know why I didn't put it together. Like, you can kind of guess what happens, but The Boy in Striped Pajamas. Mm, yeah. I, I watched this not that long ago, well, probably within the year. This is a Holocaust movie, correct? Yeah, where it's it's really about a family of basically a German officer brings his family. They get reassigned. They move into a new house, and slowly you realize what he is is the head officer for a concentration camp. And he tries to kind of keep from his family exactly what they're doing. And little by little, these things are... They, they basically figure out what's going on. And it's about his son kind of figuring out a way to get out of their little compound and starts talking to a boy on the other side. And then becomes friends and this, this, and that. And towards the end, there's a lot of drama. And the little boys want to play together. And I, I'm not sure if I should ruin it for people, but it is absolutely shocking what happens at the end and heartbreaking. But oh at the same time, you don't you don't feel bad for his parents, but boy, do you feel bad for the son and everybody else? Yeah, yeah, I saw this movie when it came out. It's you're right, all good choices so far. Have you seen it, Edgar? I have not. I've, I just Googled it. Uh, this is ringing a distant bell, but I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah. It was on Netflix at some point, and I very, very casually was watching it, and the ending really, yeah, it really were, punched me in the gut. <laughs> yeah. You were just, you were watching it for shits and giggles. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those ones where I was like, I, I've heard of this movie, and I just started playing it like with no intentions of watching the whole thing. And I watched the whole thing. So <laughs> I guess that's a compliment. Nice. Yeah, my number four is an animated movie as well. It's the only Pixar movie on my list. It's Toy Story 3. Which, oh, yeah. I've never uh, seen it. That's absurd. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you should check it out if you've seen the first two. And even if you haven't. But... Yeah, I feel like you spend so much time with these characters. At least growing up, I think the first Toy Story movie came out when I was like, I don't know, 13, 14. So you you really follow these toys, these characters along for the first two movies. And then at a certain point in the third one, they're in grave danger. They're all going into an incinerator and they like hold hands. They like pretty much accept their fate. And it's like the only time I can remember like... Uh, a family-friendly, non-Grave of the Fireflies animated movie. And I guess Dumbo, too, so maybe it's not. But Wait. it's like, it's uh, it's touching. It's very touching. You said uh, Toy Story came out. Oh, Toy Story 3. Never mind. I, I apologize. Yeah, I think the first uh, one came out in 2000, 2001. The first one's like in the 90s, because I remember yeah, being in elementary school. I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, 95, actually. Geez. I think, I think two. I think two is more okay, 2000-ish. Okay, maybe that's what I was thinking. And then I was even younger. I was like seven or eight, so it makes it <laughs> But yeah, um, surprisingly touching movie for a third movie in a franchise, blockbuster franchise. I, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I just, whatever. Best of the bunch. Best of the three. 
Oh, um, I love it, and uh, that's a great scene. That's a super intense scene. Yeah, we won't we won't spoil it for Joel, but uh, <laughs> the, the, but the last scene where there's a passing of the torch, so to speak. That's a great scene. Yeah, that is a great scene as well. Good call. What's your number three, Edgar? Uh, my number three. So we're gonna swing in another direction, and really, this is a movie where I I feel sad because I feel so bad for this character although it's not a movie that even advertises itself as sad in the slightest it's uh brian de palma's carrie uh from the late 70s uh this is a it's a drama it's it's and in the last 20 30 minutes it's sort of fallout gonzo horror um but the character of carrie who is a a high school girl very lonely uh, she a, lives a miserable life at home with her mother, who is devoutly religious, and and Carrie, for reasons that aren't explained and don't have to be, uh, is gifted slash cursed with just this bizarre telekinesis. She's sort of like a mini Professor X, kind of. Um, but she's a 14, 15-year-old high school student that has no idea what the hell's going on, but she's sort of like a mini Professor X. Um, and she's an outcast. She's, uh, she's, a, she's a virgin, starts freaking out when she has her first period. Uh, she's teased, and it just goes on and on and on until the prom. Uh, where if you haven't seen the movie, even if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sure yeah, you've seen pictures of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel so bad for Carrie. <laughs> I want her to, to be happy. And you want her to be happy when she's invited to, uh, I don't want to give the whole plot away, but she there's a bet between two hunky guys at school. Oh, yeah, hey, one of us should ask her out as a joke. And one of them accepts to take on the bet, but he's he actually starts being nice to her. And you think it's going to go in a nice direction, and it doesn't. So, not 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 a no. It's a, it's an unorthodox sad movie, but I feel so terrible for poor Carrie that I I am sad when I watch the movie. It's a different sad, but I'm sad. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a that's a good call. I've actually never seen the original. I've only seen the remake, which not as mm-hmm. iconic. No, I, I didn't really care for it very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Good call, Joel. Number three. My number three. Is a sad movie, but it's not one that necessarily makes me sad to watch. Or maybe not anymore. I've seen it a hundred times. Requiem for a Dream. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Interesting. Sad. Interesting. Yeah, I love the movie, but I didn't include it here. See, I was kind of torn on it, but it, it sort of made my list for it being one of my favorite movies. But I used to actually watch this movie when I was sad for some reason. And I think I kind of had depression and stuff growing up. That, I'm sorry. Oh, that's, I, it's not something you choose, I guess. It just happens. you got to yeah. deal. Yeah, for sure. Or, but uh, I, what I guess I learned is when I got sad, it was better to just like kind of embrace it. And I think I kind of learned that from watching this movie somehow. Maybe it was just because I had it. Yeah. And it was probably the darkest tone of all the movies I had. But um, it it's kind of heartbreaking. Like, yeah, these characters go it, through some shit, for sure. Especially, like, what happens to the mom 
that she mm. loses her mind, like trying to get ready for a TV show, which is her kind of her dream. And just through because she thinks she's going to doctors that she thinks there's like no addiction mm-hmm, associated. Mm-hmm. And then I think she's like drinking too with it. I'm, I'm a little vague on that particular situation. But then just it's just about the other three just going to rock bottom. Yep. And if you really think about that, it's sad, but it, the, I wouldn't say the movie's portrayed being sad like that, but it's a movie that could definitely bum you out. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> it's a great, but it's also stylish enough that I think yeah. people think about that as much. It's a great intense look at addiction. Uh, I'll never, uh, not be able to imagine the ass to ass scene. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Mm. You've uh, that that is a great argument for this movie, Joel. That's I didn't I didn't think it, it was an interesting pick. I'm not sure where you were going with it. Absolutely, I I, I tip my hat, sir. That is a very interesting pick. Thank you. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, my number three is a bit different. Um, it's more of a story behind the as long uh, to go along with the movie. It's the documentary The Bridge, which. Is a look at the what the Golden Gate Bridge, right? The one in San Francisco, which is famous for people committing suicide on. So it's a, a whole movie looking at that, and it goes into these different people's stories who jumped off. One of them survived the fall. Um, but the the thing that really makes this stick out to me is um, Joel and my uncle, my uncle Charlie. Uh, Many years ago, I guess it was, I don't, I can't remember now, like eight, ten years ago, he had, well, what was it, Joel? A stroke? Um, uh, yeah, uh, I think it was brain aneurysm. Yeah, brain aneurysm. Like, really Jesus. serious shit. And uh, didn't look good for a while there. But I got the phone call that this happened, like, either towards the end or right after I watched this depressing movie. So it was like, bam, bam, one after another. Like, he's fine now. He actually... Had a pretty miraculous recovery. But, uh, yeah, so that's like I connect this movie to that event in my life. And, uh, yeah, pretty sad. Jeez. So, uh, I'm sorry to hear no, this, man. Yeah. We're really opening up tonight. I know. It's crazy. Who knew? Sad movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those darn sad movies. They'll do that to you. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, he's fine now. And, uh, yeah. Good thing. What's your number two, Edgar? How crazy is this going to get? Yeah, what's, we're really going to the depths of hell here. <laughs> uh, bring out your bring out your Kleenex boxes, guys. Uh, my number two this this is this is traditional sad. Uh, my number two is a Belgian film from 2012. It was my favorites of that year. It's called The Broken Circle Breakdown. Mm, yes. uh, it's directed by a guy named, I'm going to butcher this one, to Felix van Groeningen. Groeningen. Um, it is essentially as sort of a la Manchester by the Sea, where it's not really told chronologically. It's the uh, love and, and harrowing demise of, of, of a union between two um, uh, what's the, uh, bluegrass, uh, bluegrass musicians. 
in in a region in I think the Flemish uh, region of, of of Belgium, and uh, you know the dude is sort of you know he sort of looks like your typical bluegrass guy where he's like kind of big he's got the beard going on and 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 the woman he falls in love with is just the beautiful beautiful blonde like major tattoos on her great singer actually I think she actually does her own vocals for that matter in the movie and um, great great music and they fall in love through music they have a a child but unfortunately um the more i'm explaining this the more it sounds like manchester by the sea (laughs) um tragedy befalls them although this is due to illness Mm -hmm. and they really struggle uh to get by after that tragedy it's really tough yeah yeah and it gets really dark and and but there's such nice People, you love you love this woman and this man so much, especially when you see them during their happier times and their performances and they're sort of, you know, they're they're lovey dovey. You know, they're giving themselves little looks during their performances and between musical cues, and then you see what befalls them after they lose their their daughter, who's I think barely six or seven when she 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 passes due to an illness and. It gets really dark. It's it's um this one really got to me back in the day. I haven't rewatched it since, uh, but I do remember really feeling down uh, while watching this. Um, it's extraordinarily acted. The music's beautiful. I'm not a necessarily bluegrass kind of guy, but this has great music. Uh, but and yeah, <laughs> and I still listen to some of the songs after all these years. Mm-hmm. But they're attached to this insanely depressing movie. Um, so my number two is the Broken Circle Breakdown. It's a it's a really really good movie. I couldn't couldn't disagree with anything you said there. Uh, I guess it's a little bit Blue Valentine, a little bit Manchester by the Sea, a little mm-hmm. bit Arrival, uh, with some music thrown in. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's a great movie. I'd recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it. Well, it's just got to add it to my to watch list. <laughs> nice, cool. nice. Cool. Prepare to cry. Yeah, I don't know. You sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not watching it tonight. <laughs> You'll just put it on, not planning to watch it all, and then you will. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be how I would do it. <laughs> What's your number two, Joel? But um, uh, sorry for my last two. I like to, but uh, Grave of the Fireflies was my number two, and I think Edgar basically put it perfectly. Yeah. I would just say, don't expect it to be anything like a Western animated movie. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Well, my number two is another documentary that I just kind of watched on a whim on Netflix a few years ago. It's called Dear Zachary. A letter to a son about his father, which uh, this was like right after I had my first kid, my daughter. Uh, And the movie is about this guy who his friend died like soon after he had a baby with this girl. And like I think actually she killed him (laughs) like she had his baby. She was not so apparently. And um he broke up. No, what was it? He broke. They were dating. They the he broke up with her. Um, she came back to where he was, killed him. It was found out later, uh, killed him. But she was pregnant at the time and had his baby. 
And it was like a custody battle between her and the guy's parents. And this person who was the guy's friend was filming it and just the whole custody battle and everything going on there. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but if that sounded like messed up and sad and depressing, like there's a twist <laughs> towards the end that just takes it to another level. And uh, it's really like so crazy it's hard to believe that it's true yeah your description and i'm reading a little bit on wikipedia it's almost amazing this movie exists this is, <laughs> yeah. this is a thing this happened yeah and apparently like it wasn't going to be released as a film it was just going to be like a little memoir to eventually give to this child uh and i guess spoiler alert <laughs> i'll give away the end if you don't want to hear it, this is your time to turn it off uh, or skip ahead just like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Uh, yeah, so the girl goes to jail, gets out of jail, and somehow gets custody back of the kid. What? And kills herself and the child. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, so shit. it's like just surprise, like devastating surprise after devastating surprise this whole movie it was like not the right movie to watch when you just had <laughs> your first child but yeah needless to say very sad very affecting well-made uh documentary very unique documentary by the yeah. sounds of it yeah for sure not your typical <laughs> documentary all right what's the saddest movie of all time edgar <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, as you put it that way. Um, my number one is, is a movie that, uh, oh, it's from 1960. It's Billy Wilder, one of my favorite directors. He, he made a movie called The Apartment, uh, which is which does mixture a lot of comedy with a lot of drama. It's the story of um, a character played by uh, Jackie Gleason, who was uh, such a, a great, great, great actor, so charming. And he, 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 he's single. Uh, he, he works in an office uh, with lots of other people. He's sort of, he's a sheep. And he falls in love with, I believe it's someone that also works in the same office, played by Shirley MacLaine, uh, who, if you've seen Shirley MacLaine, I mean, she's, 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 she's a peach. She's absolutely charming as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shirley MacLaine's character is trying to get with uh, someone played by Fred McMurray, who's another great actor, uh, who's one of the bosses at this company. But the Fred McMurray character sort of cheating on his wife. You know, he's not the honest, most honest fellow, but, you know, as things happen in life, the Shirley MacLaine still is trying to get with him. And, the set basically i feel i feel terrible a lot of my movies i just feel terrible for people um it's 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 really all about the 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 jackie gleason character uh he he's he's nice but he's he's a little bit on he's you know you got you sort of have to call him a little bit wishy-washy if just a little bit he's a bit of a pushover um but he's also so sweet and he he wants to be a nice guy, and he 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 likes Shirley MacLaine so much, and she's not mean to him. She she doesn't snub him snobbishly, but she doesn't um she doesn't see him the way he sees her, and and even I won't spoil the movie, but it it doesn't really end the way you think it's gonna end. It's a little bit 
it's open-ended. Uh, you know, you're not really sure if he's going to get the girl. And, um, and, and, and it gets, you know, it's one of those movies where the, there are a lot of laughs in the first hour. And then in that final act, it gets quite serious, actually. And I absolutely love it. I, I love Billy Wilder movies. This movie is, it, it looks beautiful. Uh, beautifully shot, beautifully acted. I mean, uh, 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 am I seeing Jackie Gleason or is it Jack Lemmon? Am I going crazy here? Yeah, it's Jack Lemmon. But Jack Lemmon, what the way, Jack? <laughs> Christ Almighty, my number one, <laughs> Jack Lemmon. Um, Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred McMurray. They're great, uh, but especially uh, Jack Lemmon and, and Shirley MacLaine. Just delightful, and and I feel terrible for this guy. Just stand up for yourself, be a man, you know. Say something to Fred McMurray, but he won't. He won't. Yep, he's, he's too nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that's in my top one hundred movies of all time. I haven't seen much Billy Wilder movies, but I should probably see more because I loved The Apartment. That's a great choice. Have you seen it, Joel? Because it's very no, good. No, movie. I haven't. Def- Sorry, definitely, was, you, sh- you should because it's the saddest movie ever made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I'll put it on the list, but I'll get around to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think it's on Netflix, or at least it was at some point, and it it hold it holds up big time because I only watched it a few years ago. So, There's... definitely a classic. Joel, what is your well, testament of the saddest movie of all time? Well, I'm sorry. I usually try to not do this, but. I, I gave it to Manchester by the Sea because of all the sad movies I've never connected like I did with this movie. I mean, I, I hope you don't have to recap it. I hope you just <laughs> yeah. listen to what we we did a pretty thorough job about. Right? But I, I just I really think it deserves it. I, I it's, I'm sure it doesn't beat uh, the Oscars. It's nominations, but <laughs> it's my number one saddest movie ever. I would like to shame you now, but okay. it, but it's my number one as well, so that would be hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dear Zachary is probably the most horrific movie I've ever watched, but as far as like eliciting actual waterworks from my eyeballs, uh, Manchester by the Sea, I cannot remember a movie ever doing that to me. Usually I might get like, like in the corner of my eye a little something there, but yeah, I mean I was like – there was – Tears dropping out of my eyes. So that it's a very rare case, rare case. But yeah, I agree with you, Joel. Nice. It's an excellent choice, guys. Excellent, excellent choice. Uh, any honorable mentions? Honestly, I put Bambi as my yeah. honorable mention. That's fair. Edgar? Uh, I have uh, Ikiru, which is an Akira Kurosawa film, uh, although not one of his samurais or one of his, like, uh, uh, war epics. It's uh, it's about a uh, this guy. He's a uh, civil servant for the for the for a municipality, and he he finds out he he's going to die of cancer. It's a terminal illness, and he decides to spend what little time he has left trying to like uh, re refurbish a public park, which is sort of looks like crap at the moment. And and this. Is on the topic of interesting structures, we see him for about an hour, an hour and a half, and then he dies. But the movie's not over. There's another hour, huh. and the last hour is um, 
these with his his colleagues who who back then didn't really care about this project and they were sort of annoyed by how pushy he was about it but at the time they didn't know he was dying of, of whatever i think cancer or something like that and and the last hour is them um they're in this little room uh where they're sort of uh acknowledging his passing sort of japanese style i don't know what they do exactly sort of getting on their knees and there's a little candle and this and that and his pictures and that the back and they sort of start talking about who this man was and what he did and not 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 all of them agreed there's a bit of a disagreement but that last hour i perused some some reviews and most reviews are saying, "Well, the movie is a great. It, the movie as a whole is great, but that first hour and a half is better." I actually think the last hour, after the guy actually dies, is the more interesting hour of the two. I thought that's what really got to me. So Ikiru from uh, Akira Kurosawa. That's the guy that made Seven Samurai, correct? Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, Ran, Kagimusha. Yeah, I need to check that out. I need. I love Seven Samurai. I have not seen Ikiru, so I'll add that to my list. Yeah, very different. It's it's not it's well, it's actually pretty. It's like two hours, two and a half hours. It's almost as long as Seven Samurai. Yeah, Seven Samurai is like the longest movie that I felt like went by pretty quick. Yeah, well, no kidding. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, real quick, I have a few. Uh, the opening scene to Up. I guess another Pixar oh, yeah. movie. The rest of the movie I could do without, give or take. You know, doesn't didn't really affect me at all. But the first ten fifteen minutes, pretty good. Uh, maybe the weirdest choice on my honorable mentions is Peter Jackson's King Kong. Um, okay. I don't know. I, I think I was in high school when I watched it and I was really upset when King Kong died at the end, even though you, <laughs> nice. you know, it's coming, right? I mean, it's a remake and I saw the original, but I don't know. Testament to Peter Jackson's direction, I guess, or my immaturity. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> the Green Mile, that was pretty good, um, which I haven't seen in a while, so maybe it doesn't hold up. But Grave of the Fireflies, still Alice from a few years ago. That's more of another horrifying one, like just the thought of Alzheimer's or that kind of degenerative disease is very scary and sad. And uh, Amour, the movie from a few years ago mm-hmm. about the old couple. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, very, very sad movie as well. But uh, did we watch anything else this week, Edgar? Uh, yeah, we did. We, the Royal <laughs> We, we did. Uh, nice, nice. I saw, uh, I was at the cinema a few days ago with the host of the, the aforementioned Sorted Cinema podcast, Ricky uh, de Concesao, and we saw uh, Get Out which is a movie that's been making headlines uh, from predominantly for the right reasons, mind you. Um, the directorial debut from uh, Jordan Peele, I think his name is, mm-hmm. who's usually a comedy guy. Um, and he, I think he wrote and directed this movie, and it's basically about uh, a young couple, late 20s, early 30s, whatever. Uh, the, the missus is Caucasian. The, the gentleman is black, African-American. And uh, she invites him to finally meet her parents. You know, they're, they're very much in love at this point and says, you know, I, I think it's time you meet my folks. And uh, and, and and her folks are it, – it's, it's, <laughs> it is a comedy. Um, they're, they're, they're in the suburbs. They're very wealthy. The people that work and caretake for their garden and their food are black. 
Um, and but all is not what it seems, and things, uh, as far as as race relations go, are a little bit odd. Not because they're traditionally overtly racist, and I can't say more than that because that's part of the fun of the movie. Um, I thought it was very funny. Uh, it is a horror comedy. I think the comedy works really well. I could sort of take or leave the horror uh, elements, uh, but uh, it made a boatload of money this past week, and I did not think it was going to make as much money as it did. Uh, I'm glad it did because I think it's a good movie. So if you're into the horror comedy genre and you want to see something that you know wants to be a little bit playful with um, maybe for the wrong reasons, a very topical uh, uh, yeah. subject right now, uh, maybe go check uh, Get Out. It's 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 entertaining as much as it is uh, an opportunity to uh, uh, pull the mirror up mm-hmm. and, and look at ourselves and see what's going on. Yeah, I'm very interested in checking this out. Um, heard nothing but great things. I think it has 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, you got to hate mail the uh, 1%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it might have been Armand White, the notorious troll so <clears throat> you know what are you gonna do um but yeah as far as the money it made it made over 30 million dollars on a budget that was like less than two million um yeah just blew blew it out of the water did great job uh we'll definitely be reviewing that maybe at some point on here uh, i listened to the sorted cinema podcast on it and i listened to the film junk podcast on it uh yeah and i just i'm definitely interested in checking it out how about you, Joel? It sounds awesome, but definitely check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure this is not one that's going to take super long to get to old Redbox. It'll probably be a couple months, and we'll we'll give it a review on here. Nice. Uh, what would you give it out of ten if you had that in mind? Uh, I could probably go like a, a seven and a half. I think as a comedy, it's it's bordering on like a nine. As a oh, horror wow. film, it's like a six or a six and a half. So sort of splitting the difference is mm-hmm. seven and a half. But it, but it's a very solid, you know, a heart a hearty seven and a half. But again, I, I didn't think the horror aspects were were particularly good. I think Jordan Peele is a comedy guy, not a horror guy. So mm-hmm. maybe he has a few tricks to learn. But it's a good movie. It's very very solid. Nice. Sounds perfect for Joel. He hates horror movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think you have a whole lot to worry about this. <laughs> Joel, did you watch anything? Um, no. Well, apparently there's been a terrible flu going around, and everyone I've been covering for everyone at work. So the big thing I watch is something we'll review. Gotcha. I gotcha. No excuse, but uh, I guess I have no... No uh, choice but to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched a couple things. Um, the most recent Sundance Grand Jury Prize winner, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, directed by Macon Blair, his directorial debut. Um, he's the guy that was in Blue Ruin, the main actor in Blue Ruin, and mm-hmm. his buddy Jeremy Saunier, who directed that. He was also in Green Room. He had a smaller part. Uh, this is his directorial debut, and Netflix bought it, and they put it on their service a month after it came out at Sundance, and yeah, it's currently on Netflix, so I watched it. Uh, this is a movie 
about a woman played by Melanie Linsky who is just fed up with how mean people are, fed up with the world, her life. She's kind of lives alone and just rude people over and over again are just interrupting her life. And um, she uh, eventually, someone breaks into her house, breaks a bunch of her stuff and steals her laptop and some silverware. So she recruits the help of Frodo Um, Baggins. Uh, Why can't I remember his name? uh, Elijah Wood. (laughs) Elijah Wood, yeah. Recruits his help. He's like this weird little guy who's into martial arts. Uh, (laughs) And he's got like this weird rat tail. um, And they basically go on a quest to get her stuff back. And it goes to like crazier places from there. But it's like very reminiscent of Jeremy Saunier movie. Uh, if you liked Blue Ruin or Green Room, like the vibe of those movies, you probably enjoy this. I was nice. kind of skeptical because there's been a lot of indie movies like God Bless America um, that they want to par- make a parody where it's like the, everyone sucks, the world sucks, and it's like these a person or two that's getting the revenge and all that. So, And I didn't like God Bless America very much. But this is definitely better than I expected it to be. I don't know if it's Grand Jury Prize good, but I don't really know it qualifies as Grand Jury Prize good because I've never been to Sundance. But it's definitely a movie I would recommend, and it's easily accessible. It's very violent but funny. Um, yeah. What's it called? It's got a very cumbersome title. It's I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I got it on Netflix. Cool. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Do you have Canadian Netflix? Is it there? Yep, it's streaming. I could, oh. uh, yeah. Nice. Ready to go. Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I give it like a heavy 7.5 out of 10. It's not amazing or anything, but certainly worth watching. Uh, did you have anything else, Edgar? Or should I get to a couple other things I had? Um, I went through, I did a couple rewatches of some of the Superman films. There's another podcast I, I like a lot um, uh, that's actually going through them right now. It, it had been donkey's years since I'd seen the original. I don't think I'd seen it as a child. I really liked it a lot. Uh, I love Christopher Reeve and um, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. They're great. Uh, the sequel is awesome, which is the one that has a lot of action with the original General Zod, played by Terrence Stamp. Uh, so the first two are great. I had seen the third one, but skipped it for one for whatever reason, because I only had time for one more, and I'd never seen Superman for the Quest for Peace. And uh, it it definitely um, it earns its reputation. It is a steaming pile of <laughs> Uh It is shockingly bad, actually. Uh, so watch Superman, the movie, watch Superman 2. I, there's all a controversy about part two. There's a, a Richard, uh, Richard Donner cut. Richard Donner also directed right. the original. Right. And there's a Richard Lester cut, who's a comedy guy. He uh, became famous for Hard Day's Night, a Beatles movie, which I love, actually. I love Hard Day's Night. And I watched, well, actually, I only have the Richard uh, Donner cut, the slightly more serious version. I don't know what... The Richard Lester version is like, but um, uh, and I, from everything I've heard, the Donner cut is a little bit better. So if if you have the option, go with the Donner cut of Superman two. All right, yeah, I've only seen the original Superman movie from that uh, quadrilogy, so 
I'll have to check out the second one. But uh, yeah, what's the what's the podcast? Shout them out. Uh, they're called uh, "Do You Expect Us to Talk," uh, which is a a quote from from Goldfinger, a James Bond movie. Things they started as a James Bond podcast, uh, and it was a uh, it was a famous famous scene in Goldfinger where Bond is attached. Uh, he's sort of kidnapped by the villain Goldfinger. There's a laser going up his crotch, <laughs> and uh, Bond is like, "Do you expect me to talk?" And Goldfinger replies, "No, Mister Bond. I expect you to die." So that's where they got the name of their show. But they've branched off to other things. They did host all the Star Treks. Uh, they did the Indiana Jones movies. And now they're doing the Superman films. Nice. Uh, so uh, give them a shot. They're, they're, they're English, so maybe get used to some slightly rougher accents. But, but they're very good. I like them a lot. I've been listening since the start. They're a good, it's a good show. Awesome. Yeah. Do they have subtitles for that podcast? <laughs> if, if there was such a thing to uh, have subtitles for a podcast, maybe no, it's not that bad. But, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. but uh, there's there's one of them on the show, uh, very 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 nice personality, but he's very English, very London accent. So if you're not used to that stuff, it might be a little bit off putting at first, but you get used to it. Hey, I'm a fan of Oasis, and those those guys are as Manchester as it gets. So yeah. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I watched a few other things I don't have to go too deeply into, but I watched The Founder with Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc. Uh, it's like the origin story of McDonald's. You know what? I actually watched this. Oh, did you? Um, nice. About a week, week and a half ago. Holding out on me. That, that's, that's yeah, something. sorry about that. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the story of uh, – there was the McDonald's brothers who originally – founded mcdonald's and then ray Kroc comes along i think he's what a uh milkshake dispenser salesman yeah and he kind of works his way into business with them and eventually just like completely takes over and turns mcdonald's into what it is today um this movie i felt like it was supposed to get a pretty big oscar push but it kind of just kind of came up came about as a, with a dud uh, it's directed by the same guy who did the blind side which is a movie i hated Oh yeah, I hated that movie. Uh, I would say this is definitely better than that. Um, I thought it was a decent movie. Michael Keaton's pretty good, uh, and who's the guy? Uh, Ron Swanson is one of the McDonald's brothers. Actually, both of the actors that play the McDonald's brothers are very good. I like both of those guys. I would say the movie starts off very strong, and then it gets slowly worse as it goes on. But um, it's an easy watch. It's it's like very middle of the road. What would you say, Joel? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, it's one of those movies that it's a cool enough story that it's very watchable, but it's not the best movie. Yeah. Um, especially in the second half. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Laura Dern is completely wasted in this movie as the wife. I feel like she's in three scenes. Uh, hopefully she got paid good. Aren't they always wasted the, the the actresses when they play the wife? <laughs> sure of, seems of all that these way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough role. I guess you got to work, so you take it. But mm. yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, this is like a movie. I would say if it's on HBO, it's an easy watch. Just flip it on. But it's like a six and a half out of ten for me. What would you give it, Joel? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Like a six and a half. Nice. Not quite a seven. <laughs> Uh, another one I watched from last year is Allied, the Robert Zemeckis, Brad Pitt, and Marion Cotillard 
film about uh, two spies who fall in love on a mission, get married, and then Brad Pitt is informed that they suspect Marion Cotillard is a uh, Russian spy. And basically he refuses to believe it and he goes about his own way of trying to find out whether she is or to prove her innocence. And um, it's okay. Another one. It's another one of these kind of watchable middle-of-the-road movies. Uh, of course, Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard, two good-looking, affable, charismatic actors. Uh, of course, it's fun to watch. Robert Zemeckis has his own style. Uh, does a decent job with the story, but I don't know. I just felt like it kind of didn't go anywhere. And uh, there's a poor, certain point in the story that didn't make a lot of sense to me. It really seemed like uh, the movie could have been over in 30, 40 minutes, but Brad Pitt decides to take matters into his own hands and really go the long way to try and find out whether she is a spy or not. But uh, I've tried to watch this movie twice and I've fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... That one came, came and went. Yeah. Uh, it really I, I, did, I barely paid attention to the fact that it was in theaters at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... I would say it's better than Flight, which I didn't like very much, but not as good as The Walk, which I thought was better than I expected as far as Zemeckis films go of late. But I'd give it a 6 out of 10. And um, I watched Passengers, the Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence sci-fi movie that also came and went without much of a sound. Uh, This is a very interesting uh, concept for a movie. It's about a like a spaceship that's going from Earth to some colony that's 120 years away. And something happens where the something functions on the ship and Chris Pratt's character wakes up 30 years into the journey. So he's got 90 years left. Basically, he's just going to be by himself on this ship until he dies um, while everyone else is in cryo-frozenness or whatever you call it. And uh, at a certain point, Jennifer Lawrence also becomes unfrozen, and they're the only two on the ship. I won't... There's a few twists and turns along the way, but I thought the movie started off, again, this is like a trend, started off very strong. I mean, it looks great the whole way through. It's The special effects are pretty amazing. It looks great. There's some cool sci-fi concepts. Like I said, just the premise of the movie is pretty cool. Chris Pratt, likable, charismatic guy. Jennifer Lawrence, of course, the same thing. Um, but even like a f- for an hour, I'm into it. But then the second half is just so bad. It's just, it really, really? That, Ouch. that ship gets shot right out of the sky halfway through. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate because, I don't know, it just, it was going good for a while. And there's a lot of like character motivations that don't make sense. and But I don't know, maybe... Give it a shot. You might think differently. It's directed by. Is it because is it because the the movie maybe looks like it, it ran out of ideas or what do you think happens during that last uh, hour? I think uh, it might be a little bit of that, but also I think it just thought a really bad idea was a great idea, and then once <laughs> they went along that path, it kind of just led to more bad ideas from there. Mm-hmm. Just stuff that wasn't believable. I mean, it's. For as I would give it a five and a half out of ten, which is pretty low score, but for as much as I didn't like it, I mean it's still pretty watchable. Just because charismatic actors, 
film looks good technically. So it, it's not terrible. It just was really disappointing where it went. And actually, um, what's his face? Uh, Michael Sheen has a great role as a android bartender that is like Chris Pratt's only companion uh, for most of the movie. And that that was some of the best stuff in the film. It's directed by Morton Tildum, who did uh, The Imitation Game a year or two ago, mm-hmm. which we reviewed. Joel, you liked it more than me, didn't you? Yeah, but I don't think our scores were too different. Yeah. I think yeah. I still gave it like a six and a half. Yeah. I would say that's probably the better movie. I'd probably give that a higher score, but I'd much rather watch Passengers than that again. Huh. Uh, if that makes any sense. But, yeah, that's the only movies I watched. I did finish Sneaky Pete, the Amazon series. I've already talked about it a bit. But, uh, just like to say, uh, I finished it, and it was good all the way up to the end. The finale was great. Great little show that I went in with almost no expectations. So uh, if you have Amazon Prime, give it a shot. Thanks. All right. Well, let's uh, get to the final segment of the episode, some pre-judgment day. Haven't done it in a while. Got some trailers dropped in the last couple of days. Actually, quite a bit of them. Netflix went on a trailer-dropping rampage. But yeah. first up, I guess we could talk about Alien Covenant, the second trailer for the latest Alien franchise movie. The follow-up to... Shit, what was that movie called? It was not called Alien. Mm. Prometheus. Pro- Prometheus. Prometheus. Yes. Yeah. Which, what did you think of Prometheus, Edgar? Uh, I, I'm I'm in the minority. I like it a lot. It's it's flawed. Uh, it's it's script is its Achilles heel, but uh, and maybe some of the performances as well. But I liked the the themes of of the movie. I, I like the general story. I, I like these stories where super smart people say, "Hey, let's we got a great idea. Let's find out what the history what what the." Um, the origin of mankind is, and obviously mm-hmm. the shit hits the fan. Like I like those concepts. Uh, it's a beautiful looking movie. I, I was a fan of. I am still to this day. I still like Prometheus. I actually rewatched it. I think in last October for 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 scary movie month. <laughs> I, I don't think you're in the minority on this podcast because I like it yeah. quite a bit as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it as well. Nice. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Virtual high five. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so this is, like, it's still really Scott. Uh, Prometheus didn't do great at the box office. Got a little bit of critical flaming, but I guess they wanted to half continue it, half reboot it. Still have Michael Fassbender as the android, who I thought he was one of the best parts in Prometheus. He was great. Uh, but it's a whole new crew on a ship. I think John, uh, James Franco, Danny McBride are there. Um What's the girl from Room? Uh, Brie Larson, she's in it. Captain Marvel herself. It uh, looks like they upped the ante on the action and actual uh, alien uh, presence. Um, yeah, looks like they're trying to make it a little more accessible to broader audience. But hopefully, they keep some of the uh, gen- like the same ideas that they had going from Prometheus. What did you guys think of this second trailer? Um, I mean, I, I'll definitely go and see it. The, I, I'll say the only thing that I'm a little worried about is the things that I thought made the original alien movies like scary were the fact that you didn't see the aliens that much. Yeah. And you see a lot of them in 
the trailer. Yeah, that so, is true. But I wonder if that's just more to get the point across. But Well, I think the counter-argument, if I were to play devil's advocate, the counter-argument to that is Aliens. James Cameron's film yeah. where there are aliens all over the freaking place. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I guess and, I'm more talking about the original. Oh, for sure. Why well, for that matter? Yeah, well, that's true. Um, I I I was somewhat relieved when I saw this trailer because I uh, this is one of those movies I'm I'm trying to not see too many trailers. Although I, I watched all of the ones we're going to be talking about for for, for, for to have some fun oh, on shit. the show, but <laughs> but Alien is one of those movies I wanted to go in cold until I saw the trailer in uh, the teaser in theaters. So sort of you know I'm not gonna like shut my ears and eyes and go la 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 um and i really did not like the teaser i was like uh oh we're in trouble uh but this trailer sort of restored a little bit of faith it kind of does feel like ridley scott said you know what i want to make my version of aliens because uh, it looks yeah, like it's yeah. really heavy on the action as you were saying bob uh so my faith is restored somewhat um I hope there's some surprises for us because a scene where a dude sees an egg and goes like, what's that? And the egg opens up and the face hooker jumps onto his face. It's like, yeah, we're not going to be surprised by that anymore. So I'm hoping I'm praying fingers and toes crossed (laughs) that this is marketing for the um, uh, most common uh, denominator. And the movie will be a little bit better than this. Yeah. Uh, So. Yeah, I, I agree. That, yeah. I do know what you're talking about with this, the face hugger thing. My only hope is that they didn't actually show it like on his face, right? It was more like a first person perspective. Maybe uh, it doesn't play out as as it as exactly as it looks in the actual movie. But uh, yeah, I like this trailer a lot better than the first one. It does look like Ridley Scott's version of Aliens. That was a great observation there, uh, and I would love to see that because on the Arrival podcast where we did our top five sci-fi movies of all time. I listed Alien as my number one. So if it's along that same vibe, but just more action, more more viewing of the aliens, multiple ones, uh, then I'm down. And um, yeah, I, I, I like the cast a lot too. So I'm interested for sure. Yeah. And now that you say it, the more I think about it, you're probably right. This probably is a trailer for the lowest common denominator because what I'm, the way I'm thinking about it is it's an aliens movie. I'm going to see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They could pretty much look like the worst movie ever, and I'll probably still go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, they, uh, they accomplished that already with Alien versus Predator: Colon uh, Requiem. Yeah. <laughs> I I like that one better than the first Alien versus Predator, but. Oh Christ Almighty! I don't think I, I don't. I haven't seen either. I didn't bother. Well, that's a pretty good choice too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy. Already the third trailer for this movie, which uh, I'm surprised. I was telling Joel on uh, Facebook, like they're really pumping out the advertisements for this. This is the third trailer we'll be reviewing for it, and uh, like we keep saying, uh, looks great. Looks like a continuation of the story, at least from my perspective. Still, I was chuckling at some of the scenes from the trailer. It looks funny. It looks like it's going to have awesome special effects and cool action. So, yeah, love the original. 
probably my favorite Marvel movie ever made, and uh, really looking forward to this. I totally agree. I, I hate to use this term, but it looks like one of the, the funnest movies that's come out in the last few years. Probably, maybe since it, it's original, but but yeah, it looks like a, a great... Is it coming out in the summer? I think it's out? actually May. I think it kicks off the summer. Oh, okay. Yeah, great summer blockbuster there. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of of the first one. I liked it a lot. I thought the first one was very funny, very colorful. Um, the humor didn't really land with me in the trailer, but it's just a trailer. Uh, but the colorful, the colors, uh, the, the 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 characters, the the, the locations, it, it all looks very zany, very imaginative. I've never read a Guardians of the Galaxy comic, so for, yeah, me all, for all I know, they're just transposing pages to screen. But it, it looks very creative. It looks very uh, zany, and and that's why I'll go see. I'll go see it. Uh, and 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 I'll, I'll be banking on the fact that it, it's funny. I'll admit that I didn't find this trailer very funny, but the first one's uh, a, a riot. So I'm I'm going to be hoping that it'll be just as funny. Yeah. I'll, I'm just definitely going to be seeing it. Yeah, and uh, you got to look at Kurt Russell, his character, playing the father of uh, Chris Pratt's character. It's always mm-hmm. nice to see Kurt Russell. Looks yeah, like he yeah. kept the same facial hair that he's had in every movie since. Uh, 2010 since the since the thing <laughs> yeah but uh yeah he's really banking in on it yeah this is gonna be a race to who gets to pick this in the box office draft i feel like yeah that seems to always be a movie like that <laughs> yeah this one yep this could be the one but uh let's move on to the netflix uh movie domination they've always had lots of original tv shows but and I guess one of these is a series, but they've put some money towards bringing in some filmmakers to make movies for them. The hottest news off the presses is that they got Martin Scorsese's next movie starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci is coming straight to Netflix. Uh, what? Yeah. That's wow. going to be weird. It has like a budget over $100 million. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting. These are exciting times. You know what? If it wasn't for some Scorsese, of I would say they're pandering almost, but Yeah, just... exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you can't doubt Marty. Those actors are no. all over the hill, I haven't done much great lately, but when you add Scorsese yeah, into the mix, it's like, okay, now I'll I'm, take it I'm, seriously. I'm kicking myself. Silence played for a solid month, and I missed I just didn't get my ass to the theater. It'll be on Netflix soon enough, but uh, that's that's his one movie of the last like 15 years that I haven't seen. But yeah, I watched uh, that's it, yeah. a coup. That is a coup. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I almost saw Manchester by the Sea and Silence at the Senator Theater, which is probably one of the most gorgeous historic movie theaters in the country. Yeah. Huge screen. Should have done it. At yeah, least. I know. I'm kicking yeah. myself. I think I ended up working the one day and then they switched movies, but it was Manchester by the Sea. And then I don't know. How do you feel, Edgar, about the Netflix movie thing? Like, I've heard some dissension online and on podcasts where some people just hate it. They they think it's bad for film. They think it's bad for cinema. That a movie should be in theaters to get the most. I like that's where it's meant to be seen. Uh, 
what what's your take on that? Uh, I I don't necessarily echo those sentiments. Uh, I I personally I, I do enjoy seeing something on the big screen with a big sound. Uh, that said, the, the fact of the matter is, it's been about a decade, if not fifteen years, at this point, where uh, what we call television has become very cinematic, and no right. one's saying, uh, "Hey, put Game of Thrones on the big screen." Hey, put. Uh, I don't watch enough TV. <laughs> Name me something. The Walking Dead. Put, uh, uh, Walking Dead. Put Desperate Housewives. You know, put those things on. No one's saying that. Yeah. Uh, so, so clearly, people and and I shouldn't say people. A large portion of the media consuming public has fully accepted high quality drama, comedy, action, what have you, on a smaller screen whether you're streaming it through a smart tv or on your ipad or on your computer people have accepted this i think what's rustling some some feathers what's causing people to bristle is the fact that oh dear god you know uh will smith has just we'll be talking about that will smith has just made a huge science fiction movie and it's going to be on netflix it's the next Phase. I, I could sense it was going to happen. I'm not surprised it's happening. It's different, but how different is it really? I'm not sure. It's I'm not sure it's that different. I'll still if if um, I don't know if these movies will be played simultaneously in select theaters. If they are, personally, I probably will try to try to uh, try to see them in theaters. But I'm not so dead set against it. Although the fear is if I can use the word fear, that maybe this could be a turning point in the movie-going experience. Right, right. Yeah, for me, it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, best-case scenario, all things equal. I'd rather see a movie in theaters if I had unlimited time, unlimited budget. But as a married father of two, uh, I who gets to the movies maybe a handful of times a year, like, I'm loving it, selfishly, all these movies. The faster they can get to... Watching at home, the better for me, because that's mostly how I watch movies. So, uh, yeah, I'm digging it. Uh, Joel, I don't think that's selfish. I don't think that's selfish at all. Actually, if I can just interject, it's yeah. not the least bit selfish. These, this is designed for people such as you in mind, and and it's justifiable. It's yeah. I mean, we watched Birth of a Nation on Netflix, and didn't lessen my uh, enjoyment of that movie. True. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's sort of more selfish the other way, where you don't want people to consume movies that way. Like, it's not your decision how someone else enjoys something. Fair. I, I just mean, like, the people that are don't like it. But I think there's just still that, when you hear straight-to-DVD or yeah. straight-to-TV, there's that... It means it's like that gives you that bad taste where this isn't of quality enough of enough to be in theaters mm -hmm. but i mean if you look at all things music people don't really buy albums anymore people don't go to concerts like they used to like concerts are smaller in number like you'll never see really like another like Beatlemania because we have so much media at our fingertips mm -hmm. you don't have to go out it's not like such a happening when something like that comes to town Oh, you uh, just, maybe it's a little different for people that live farther away from a major city or something, but yeah, um, I'm all for it. 
I mean, I was actually a little bit upset at the Oscars how Amazon got so much credit for being like the first non-real movie studio to be nominated when Beasts of No Nation should absolutely. Oh yeah, won. that's I said Birth of a Nation. I meant Beasts of No Nation. Yeah. Which it's it's a business, man. It's a business. Adapt and survive. And that's what Amazon's doing. That's what Netflix is doing. I mean, for Christ's sake, Martin Scorsese, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Martin Scorsese <laughs> is going to direct a $100 million movie with Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe freaking Pesci, who doesn't make movies anymore. <laughs> and it's going to Netflix, Adapt and Survive. Yes, I like seeing movies in the big screen more, but this is the business model. If the movie if the movie is great, fantastic, but at the end of the day, it's a business and this is how things are going to roll. Yeah, it's sure it's maybe a bit of a tough pill to swallow for someone like me that that doesn't have this responsibilities that Bob has, but these they're going to make their money and they're going to make it uh, thanks to, to to people like but you're going to be able to enjoy this movie the day it comes out. Yeah, you know, and they're going to and they think about these things, and we're going to have to accept it. I'm I'm ready and willing to accept it. It's this is this is happening. It is yeah. happening. Christ, we're going to be talking about trailers in a second. It is happening. <laughs> and for uh, all its faults, this is how capitalism works. I mean, movie tickets were kept going up in price. They gouged the shit out of you on all their the concessions. And now we have the ability to stream anything we want at any moment. So, and if you think about it, what do you pay a month for Netflix? Like the cost of two movie tickets. Yeah, nine, ten dollars. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not saying, I think theaters won't go away because I think eventually people will appreciate them that much more. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be more, the blockbusters are in theaters and... Probably the mid to lower budget movies might go a different yeah, way. Or, or something that ends up being a big deal that comes out on a streaming service. Maybe they will put it in theaters for limited runs and whatever. And technology is getting so good for home entertainment yeah. systems. Like you have a huge screen with great surround sound. I mean, of course, you always have the distraction of, of 4K being TV. Home, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's happening. Like you said, I think every business model shifts over time to adapt to its audience. So that's all that's happening. I think what you'll see is more theaters hopefully trying to give true IMAX experiences because I think like 99% of them aren't real IMAX screens. Yeah, they're going to need to do things to force – like to really make you want to go to the theater instead. Whatever that is, I don't know. Yeah, and plus, like, your film buffs are going to see it in theaters anyway. Yes, yes. I think maybe theaters, there might be, I agree, I don't think theaters will go away, but there might be possibly fewer of them with fewer screens in those in those theaters. I'm not sure we're, I'm not sure we're going to see too many new theaters opening up with 15 to 20 rooms. You know, I yeah, think we might yeah. be talking about 5 to 10 and and predominantly for, for for the blockbusters and maybe your 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 once in a blue moon uh, independent art house uh, cinema. But again, I I a bit like you guys. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I think you have to roll with the punches, and the punches are clearly going in the direction of online streaming and, and instant accessibility of new material, which 
is fine by me. I have no problem with that. And, and I understand people in your position, Bob. It, it makes the, it, there is a logic behind it. It's a business decision, but there's also logic behind it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, let's get to those movies we're talking about. Uh, first up is War Machine, which I think it comes out in May, May 23rd, something like that. This is directed by David McCowd, or I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He did, um, He's made a few movies of note that I should have written down, um, but this is about uh, Brad Pitt, who is the general in a war. <laughs> Let's see. Afghan- <laughs> <laughs> notes, notes, notes. A satire of America's war of Afghanistan with a focus on the people running the campaign. It's just another thing I like about Netflix, their trailers are just a minute long. They just give you just enough to get a taste for like the vibe of the movie. They don't really go into too much plot spoilers or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, this this movie, um, yeah, it looks pretty good to me. Uh, Dave McCall directed The Rover and Animal Kingdom, two Australian movies oh. in the past uh, few years. And those are both very well made. Uh, what did you guys think of this? Well, I mean... I thought it looked pretty stylish in, or in its own way. And I don't know, for me, just Brad Pitt. Yeah, I'm in. Kind of sells me. <laughs> yeah, it, for that type of character, too. So. Yeah, he's playing what? Like, this is almost his Inglorious Bastards character with the accent. Yeah. Yeah, it does kind of sound like that character, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, no, it, it looks, uh, again, I, I, it's, these, these are new. Actually, you know what? I actually kind of like these trends. It was a little bit off-putting because I think, unfortunately, I, I'm getting so used to trailers that tell me the whole bloody plot. Right. Uh, I'm going to readjust myself to trailers that really don't tell me any of the plot, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I actually prefer. Um, but you certainly get an idea of what the tone is going to be. I think, I mean, the seller is, uh, the selling uh, scene is the one where he's in an office and he says, don't worry, finish your phone call. The war can wait. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, that tells great. you pretty much all you need to know about what sort of sarcasm and, and satire is good. This movie is going to have. So, uh, no, it looks pretty decent. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Like, I guess the good and the bad, the good is that they're not giving away plot details. The bad it's not as much to really break down in these trailers, but yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out when it comes out. Uh, next up is Bong Joon-ho's Okja, if I hope that's how you pronounce it, but it's about a young girl named Miha who risks everything to prevent a powerful multinational company from kidnapping her best friend, a massive animal named Okja. Uh, yeah, this one didn't give you much to really, uh, as far as the plot goes either but it looks like what they're uh, combining human dna with pig dna and they made this giant monster type animal you got a small glimpse of it but again it really just giving you the tone the vibe of the movie and i like bong jung ho uh at least i've seen a few of his movies i saw the host which was pretty good and then snowpiercer which i liked quite a bit uh i'm sure i've heard all of his movies are pretty good but yeah uh edgar You've seen a bunch of his movies, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, yes, I know that name. Hold on a second. Did he make the Korean version of Good, Bad, the Weird? Uh, just a second. I'm I'm googling myself here. Bong Joo. I don't Ho. think so. Memories of Murder. Uh, oh yes, Mother. Yes. Uh, 
Oh yeah, no, no, no. I've seen, actually the one I haven't seen is actually the host. Uh, but no, I yeah, I, I I really really like what that guy did. I loved Memories of Murder. That is a batshit crazy film. I need to check um, that. Uh, I must have stumbled on the wrong tour because this one didn't have anything in English. Oh no, there was a bit of voiceover in English, but like all the text was in Korean, so I didn't know this was Bong Joon Ho. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it looks pretty cool, and uh, obviously the Bong Joon Ho aspect is good. It sells me even more on it. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 down. It's a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of like free Willy. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> free Okja. Free yeah, Okja. I, yeah, there you go. I did the same thing when I looked at the trailer. I, everything was in Korean. The only thing I did recognize was his name, just from the symbols. Yeah. Well, I, re- I recognize the number 2017, so I figured, okay, it's coming out sometime this year. Yeah, I think it comes out, it comes out in June, so nice summer movie. Yeah, I, I know some basic letters and stuff in Korean, so I can cool. kind of catch on the names and stuff. Nice. I did see um, – I clicked another like website that had the trailer on it, and it had an interview that was translated, and he said, I just combined nature with science. It's just the oh, whole okay. idea. okay behind the whole thing so uh, I mean just I mean his reputation precedes him but just on style alone I'm interested to see it yeah for sure Uh, and the last Netflix movie uh, this one doesn't come out till December 2017 so maybe it's uh, gonna be I don't know what that means exactly when it comes to Netflix like most in the movie industry if you save a movie for the end of the year that means you think it's gonna be very very good and get a lot of attention and maybe that's what they're doing here, but it's called Bright. It's set in a world where mystical creatures live side by side with humans. A human cop is forced to work with an orc to find a weapon everyone is prepared to kill for. And the ballsy thing that Netflix did here was this trailer premiered as a commercial during the Oscars. Um, wow. Yeah, because usually there are no movie trailers when it's time for the Oscars, but I guess they circumvented that system to uh, get it out there. I didn't see it when I was uh, during the Oscars, but I looked it up afterwards and yeah, Will Smith is the lead here. It's directed by David Ayer. So they're reteaming after the amazing suicide squad uh, tandem. Sexy. But this looks way better than suicide squad. Uh, it actually, I mean, it's only like a 30 second trailer, but it looks pretty cool. Uh, I liked the look of the orc, and uh, just some of the brief flashes you get, I thought the imagery was kind of cool. And I like David Ayer, Suicide Squad, notwithstanding. I liked Fury a lot and um, uh, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena as cops. Um, yeah, so I, I'm definitely interested in this one as well. Joel? Um, this is definitely the one I'm most skeptical of. Yeah. That's but it true. does look cool. Like, I, I agree with you. The imagery is all... I just, uh, I guess watching it, this is the one that I feel like could fail easiest, but. Yeah, maybe it has the widest variance as far as it. it but at the same time, it, it, it's it got my interest. I'll, I'll kind of keep an eye on it. Yeah. I, I don't think Sewer Squad is helping either David Ayer or 
will spoil. I mean, I guess it, it, I shouldn't say that because they got to make this, and it obviously looks very expensive and very lavish. But maybe that 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 unease about what this movie could be or what its quality could be might have something to do with Suicide Squad because David Ayer directed that, and Will Smith is in that. Um, but for this trailer, um, it yeah, no, it looks pretty good. Um, I'm still a Will Smith supporter, even though I, Frank, I haven't seen his past few movies, but I still like the guy. I still think he can put in a good performance. Uh, I'm not as familiar with David Ayer. I think I've only seen. Did he direct Street Kings? Uh, yes, yeah, that was one yeah, of his earlier movies. That's okay. That's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, December, it's, it's, we got a little bit of time before this one comes out. So maybe, maybe I'm less excited for it because it's so far off, but, but the trailer looks fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other movie I was thinking of was end of watch, but, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, studio intervention was the main reason that suicide squad, uh, was so bad. Um, yeah, but we will see. The last thing up for debate is Mindhunter, or is it Mindhunters? I can't remember, but this is the David Fincher project about an agent in the FBI's elite serial crime unit who tracks down serial killers and rapists. And uh, I thought this was a very stylish, very cool trailer uh, as the blood drops kind of form a um, ink blot test type thing. And uh, basically... I didn't even need to watch the trailer to be interested. As soon as I heard David Fincher was involved, my interest was piqued. I'm not quite sure if he's directing or if he's just producing, but yeah. Uh, what did you guys think, Edgar? Uh, yeah, it's the stylistically. This looks pretty awesome, and and his his the teaser trailers for his movies are usually very very special, very artistically made. So I agree. It's not very surprising when you find out that. In, in some capacity, David Fincher's behind this. Uh, you know, a lot like the other Netflix trailers, we're not exactly sure what happens in this. Uh, but I, I will put my faith in him. Uh, it, it looks nice. You know, visual looks like it's really well shot. Uh, I think I recognize some voices because there are a lot of oh, there's a lot of um, characters talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they're, they're 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 quoting. They're taking sound bites. From some parts of this movie, and, and I think I recognize some of those voices. So I think it has, has a pretty, probably pretty good cast. And I, I like, you know, FBI crime movies. Uh, we know he can do them well. He did Seven, Zodiac, um, Zodiac. Wow. Uh, to, to, to an extent, uh, Gone Girl. Gone Girl is not FBI, but it is crime. Yeah, there is an yeah. investigation. So the guy's like three for three already in that department. So I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't be four to four. Let's let's do it, baby. Let's do it. Joel, are you yeah. on board? Wow. If I wasn't sold on it already, Edgar definitely just helped put that in perspective. But yeah, I totally agree. It looks amazingly shot, stylish, good production quality, and the fact is David Fincher. Yeah, it's got me. Yeah, I was wondering when we were going to see something else from him because I know Gone Girl only came out in 2014, but I just... I can't remember the last movie he made that I didn't like quite a bit or love. Guy's just a master craftsman. So bring it on, Mindhunter. Slash Hunters. Bring it on. Yeah, we're not sure. <laughs> we will find out, and we will let you know that. But All right, where uh, where <coughs> can people find you on the Internet, Edgar? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, double O pop. That's uh, the word double, then underscore O H underscore P O P. Uh, and I, although I don't know, I got to be honest. If you're not a James Bond fan, there might not be a whole lot of point in following me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always a reason to follow you on Twitter. Oh, and, thank uh, you, thank you. Also, subscribe to Sorted Cinema on iTunes because I have a feeling you'll pop up on there as a guest from time to time. Probably, probably. Obviously, my my ties are even though I'm batting for for a different team. Officially speaking, my ties are still very strong to that to, to that site, that show, and 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 uh, at least two of of, of its hosts. So uh, yeah, it's uh, rookie was uh, very 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 uh, explicit about the fact that I uh, I'm more than welcome to to come on at some point in the future. Awesome, yeah, it's just a good nice. show on its own. So definitely subscribe to that. And uh, yeah, if you want to hit us up. Send us an email, theredboxreport at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at theredboxreport. I'm personally on Twitter at the Oriole Report. On Twitter at Redbox Reporter. Uh, like us on Facebook. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Subscribe to our YouTube page. I have been putting up all the episodes on YouTube. If, if that's a better way for you to listen, that is an option. And uh, on the next episode, we will be reviewing Moonlight and counting down our top five best picture winners. So stay tuned for that. And uh, as always, we'll catch you later. Sing a sad song in a lonely place Try to put a word in for me It's been so long since I found a space You better put in two or three We as people are just walking round Our heads are firmly fixed in the ground What we don't see Well it can't be real What we don't touch we cannot feel Where we're living in this town The sun is coming up and it's going down But it's all just the same at the end of the day and we cheat, and we lie Nobody says it's wrong, so we don't ask why Cause it's all just the same at the end of the day We're throwing it all away We're throwing it all away We're throwing it all away At the end of the day
Just the same at the end of the day